It's nice to see you here today, and it's good to be uh, here with you. This is my first time uh, at church in Downers Grove, and it's a beautiful church you have here. Um, my wife, uh, Isai, and my son, Ian, are here with me, and uh, when we came, it was nice to see some familiar faces that uh, haven't seen in a long time. One time, I got up to preach and, uh, at a small church, a rural, rural church, and I recognized some people, and I said it was nice to see some old faces. And I kept on going. I didn't realize that I had insulted everybody. Um, so I just want to say it's nice to see some familiar faces when you come to church. So um, praise the Lord that we can be here together. The, um, I don't know what uh, you'd like to know about me. I'm a pastor over in Michigan, pastor uh, two churches in Grand Rapids area, and we've been there for a few years. And before that, um, we were in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, as far up as you can get, and before that, um, still in Michigan, before that, I grew up in Maine, so I have seemed to not have the ability to migrate south, <laughs> even though I would like to, because the cold is, uh, this time of year especially, just gets old. You're all ready for summer, I know, and the Pathfinders are ready, they're going to Florida, so uh, they're leaving everybody behind. I, um, I've been pastoring... Uh, seven years or so, and I got my start in ministry through campus ministry uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, Grand Valley, Michigan, in, in the uh, Grand Rapids area. And, uh, and then I uh, felt the Lord calling to go to seminary at Andrews University, and there um, was there, and then the uh, conference in Michigan asked me to pastor. So, um, so that's me. Hopefully you can share a little bit about you uh, sometime today and uh, get to know you a little bit better. But uh, we're starting uh, in John chapter 6 today, and before we begin, I would like to, uh, to ask you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you that we are here today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you have called us into your presence to hear your voice speaking to us. And I pray for, uh, for each one here that whatever we have been thinking of this week, whatever has been going on in our lives, you would custom make this message to meet each individual uh, and each individual's needs here today. Only you can do that, and so we pray that you would give us uh, an enlightened understanding to know exactly what it is that you're speaking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, uh, I have a friend, uh, his name is James, and he was uh, a strong, committed Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He grew up uh, a Seventh-day Adventist and um, always involved in Sabbath school and church, and as he got older and using his gifts and abilities for the Lord, uh, sometimes he would, he would be up to speak during Sabbath school, sometimes he would give the sermon for church, and you know how sometimes in small churches that uh, people are just often over-relied upon? There's no one else, right? So you've got to do it, and so if somebody couldn't make it, they got sick, they would call James, and James, of course, he was always willing to help. He, uh, he would get up there and do whatever anybody needed. But over time, he kind of got burnt out. Maybe you've experienced uh, a little bit of that at church or at work or school. It doesn't matter. Uh, burnout comes at all different places. But he was experiencing this at church, and it really was becoming a problem for him to go to church and worship when he felt like everybody didn't want to do anything, and all they were doing was pushing it onto him. And he had a hard time saying no, so he ended up, you know, it was the James show for a while. So he talked to this pastor, he said, I need to take a break, and, 
he started attending a different church for a few weeks, but then he said, you know, I'm just going to take the week off, and he didn't go to church. And that continued the next week. He didn't go to church. And, and it was six weeks before he decided he needed to go back to church. And he went back to the church where uh, he had been going and uh, was so busy, but uh, he just sat in the back, and, and everyone was happy to see him, but he said, you know, I, I need another break. Just brought too many memories back. And so uh, over time, gradually, he stopped going to church. It was never his intention to, to stop going, but, uh, but he did. And, and after a little while, he started doing things that he wouldn't normally do. Found himself uh, in a place in his life where he never would have really thought to be. And he knew that his spiritual life was suffering, but he didn't do anything about it. Until finally he got to the place where he didn't know whether he believed in God or not. I don't know if this has happened to you or if you have come from a background where you didn't believe in God, but the, the problem for James was he, he knew where he wanted to be spiritually. He knew where he wanted to go, but he didn't know how to get back there. So he called up his pastor and, and, uh, and told him, you know, in my life I'm struggling so much. My faith is so weak. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. It's been so long since I've been to church. And uh, I don't even know where to begin? This is a question a lot of people have. You may think, you know, I've got some faith. Uh, I've read the Bible for 20, 30 years or 10 years or however long. I, I pray, I go to Sabbath school, I go to prayer meeting, Bible studies, whatever it might be. But some people, when they don't have the, the reference that we've had, where do you begin? How do you start out on a journey of faith? How do you start out believing in God? Some people will say, well, you need to start out going, uh, looking at all the for God. So we look at science, we look at geomorphology, we look at archaeology, we look at astrology, we look at all of these places for evidence, but you can have all the evidence, right, and still not believe. So where do we begin? I'd like you to go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. And I can imagine the, the miracle would have been enough to get me back for more the next day. Seconds of uh, bread. I love bread, especially, uh, you know, fresh out of the oven, homemade. And I can imagine uh, bread that Jesus would make would be pretty much better than that. John chapter 6, the next day, people are looking for Jesus. They have spread those 12 baskets around. And the message that Jesus, Jesus worked a miracle. Five loaves and two fish fed 5,000 plus people. Coming back the next day, they're looking for him. They can't find him. Cross over the lake. And notice here in, uh, in verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into a small boat and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now Jesus, he hears their question, but he doesn't answer that immediate question. He goes right in and says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. The reason why you're here is because you want more. I can honestly say I'd be back for more. I hope you would too. But he says, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God hath set his seal. And therefore they said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God that you what? That you believe on him whom he has sent. I like the, the way that Jesus begins to teach. He's teaching them a profound lesson here in John chapter 6, as we'll see. We'll just touch the surface of it. But he says, 
basic first thing first, the work of God is that you believe. I appreciate what Jesus is saying because it takes the the pressure off of, of us. Because we can search and search and search forever and still not have enough to go on. We could look at all of the evidence, could start at the internet, type in, how do I know I believe? And you will get billions of results. A lot. I looked it up uh, as I was thinking about it, and I, I mean, you just click page after page after page. How do I know I believe? God's work is to help us believe. And so we can have a solid foundation for our faith. We can know the reasons for why God exists. We can know the reasons for pretty much why the Bible is true, why the Bible is trustworthy. Look at creation, design. But when it comes to belief, it's not our responsibility. It's God's responsibility. The work of God is that you, that you believe. How does it work? If you turn to Romans chapter 12, you'll notice... Uh, something Paul writes to them that is true. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, begins to tell us a little bit about how faith works. It says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You know, if we think about it, The journey begins with God. It's His work, right? And so He's given everybody what we need to get started. He says He's given to each person, He's allotted to each person a measure of faith. If you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I like how Solomon puts it, perhaps a little more poetically. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. My pages are sticking here, but notice what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, he has also set eternity in the human heart. You'll find he's saying there's a time for everything, a time in chapter 2, but he gets to chapter 3 and he says there's a time still, but God has placed eternity in every human heart. What that tells me is that God has given us everything we need to start the journey. Everything that we need to believe in God, He's already placed within us. So then what do we do? What's our responsibility? If you go back to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus continues His teaching. Notice what He says in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me will not hunger, and he who believes in Me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. If you've got bread in front of you, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to eat it. I suppose if you don't like bread, you can throw it away. When Jesus is in front of us, the bread of life is in front of us, those are the two options. You can eat the bread of life or you can starve. When uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, anyone who comes to me, who believes in me, will never hunger and never thirst, he expounds upon that a little bit later in the chapter. And notice what he says, verse 51. I am the bread, the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. And if we eat that bread, the promise is that we will live forever. Are you following? 
So if the, the journey starts with God, he gives everybody exactly what we need to start our journey of faith. All we've got to do is continue eating from the bread of life. That's it. That's all he's asking. You know, I, I uh, was thinking about this two years ago, almost two years ago, our son Ian was born, and he was uh, tiny. I mean, you could just you could rock him to sleep with one hand. And, uh, and he is no longer that way. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't heard him scream yet. Uh, he's got a set of lungs that will make any musician jealous, any singer jealous. He could climb uh, things that I would, I'd be afraid to tell you what he could climb. <laughs> um, walking at seven months, running, jumping, like fully committed jumping, expecting that you're going to be there to catch him no matter, no matter where he is. He's grown so much. And I asked myself the question, you know, how is it that he's grown? And the, only, the simplest thing that I can come up with is if you eat, you grow. As long as he keeps eating, he's going to keep growing. And as soon as he's fully grown, if he keeps eating, he's going to grow the other direction. <laughs> you overeat, right? If you eat, you grow. And Jesus says if you eat from the bread of life, you'll have eternal life. I am the living bread, Jesus says. In order for faith to grow, we've just got to simply eat. And Jesus is saying this in the context of the manna experience. In Exodus chapter 16, the manna fell from heaven on the ground and the Israelites went out every day to collect so that they could live while they were in the wilderness. And the, the Pharisees or those the people talking with Jesus, they bring this up in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus is saying, that wasn't the point. They, didn't, they weren't saved because God worked these miracles for them. They were saved because they ate the bread. And the whole point of the bread was to show that man doesn't eat just simply by physical food, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we read that. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, man lives, from our scripture reading, man lives... By every word of God. That's where life comes from. That's where we grow. That's how we live in Christ. If you think about this, I like what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformed in Romans 12, too, is the word we get metamorphosis from where you see a caterpillar change into a butterfly. It's a complete transformation that takes place in our lives when we read God's Word. When you look at, uh, at this subject, one uh, author writes this. It says, By constantly looking to Jesus with the eye of faith, we will find that Christ is a personal Savior. As we feed upon his word, we find that it is spirit and life. The word destroys the natural earthly nature and imparts a new life in Christ. God's image is reproduced in us. Love takes the place of hatred. The heart receives the divine similitude. This is what it means to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is eating the bread that came down from heaven. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about. If you eat, you're going to grow. And if you're growing, eventually when the Lord comes, you're going to be ready. What does it mean to eat from the bread of life, from the bread of heaven? Constantly looking to Jesus with the eye of faith. Constantly keeping our focus on Him. Who gives us this faith? 
God does, right? What's our responsibility? Eat. <laughs> Keep eating. But notice, even if we read the Bible every single day for the rest of our lives, that doesn't mean we're going to be saved. I can tell you that I know people who read their Bibles a lot. And they're the most unchristian people that I know. And I would even imagine most of you could name a handful. Unfortunately. So what makes the difference? If God gives us the faith and He tells us just keep coming back and, and eat from the word of life. How do we know that we've got saving faith? I want to take you uh, to Galatians chapter 2. And notice here in Galatians chapter 2 verse 16, something Paul says that caught my attention. As he's sharing with the church in Galatia this epistle, verse 16 is a pivotal point where it connects everything he said in the introduction with everything he's about to say that's about to get very heavy. And, uh, and the Jews in this time... They, uh, there were two universally accepted truths, one of them being that salvation wasn't by works. We might think they were very works-oriented, and to an extent there were some that were more so than others, but, but they generally said that obedience comes as a natural response of love to somebody who saved you. And so they, they had a tendency to be legalistic, but if you ask them, they would say, no, we're obedient because we love the Lord. That's, that was generally universally accepted in Judaism as a universally accepted truth. And the other one is that we're saved by faith. These things that Paul's saying here in verse 16 aren't new. But notice what he says. Verse 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. He doesn't have to belabor that point. He doesn't have to argue that we're not saved by works because everybody already knows that. We sometimes forget that, and so we need to be reminded. But what he's saying here is that we're saved by our faith in Christ, and so we believe in Christ so we can be saved, right? But if you look at this verse, and you might even compare it with different versions, another way this could be translated is that we are saved, I'll read it here, knowing that a man, uh, knowing, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're saved at all, it's only because of God's faithfulness. It's not by how much we read our Bibles. It's not by how much we knew all the evidence for God's existence. It's not even by how we treated other people, although the Bible says some things like that. It's not how much uh, veggie meats we buy. It's only because Jesus Christ is faithful to us that we're saved. There's no other way. He has given us everything we need for the journey, and all we've got to do is eat, and in the end, trust that He's going to be faithful and do what He promised. If you'll notice, back in John chapter 6, look at verse 37 with me. Jesus says this very thing in John chapter 6. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Look at verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. This is not about how much we know, how good we are, how uh, wonderful of an Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist Christian we become. This is all about Jesus. He's given us the faith that we need. We come to him and look constantly to him by eating from the bread of life. And in the end, we trust that he's going to do what's right, that he's going to save us, that if we placed our confidence in him, we can take this promise where he says, I myself will raise you up in the last day. We believe in Christ so that we can be made righteous by his faithfulness. I came across a story of Nicole Cliff. She was an atheist who converted to Christianity and... uh, and she, she was an atheist ever since college, already um, out of college, a popular writer of a feminist website and blog. Very hostile to Christians, thought that Christians were some of the most deluded people in the world. And, uh, and even happy that there was nothing after you die. So she felt sort of a little bit of comfort knowing in the finality of death that when you die, that's it. She, she felt that it might sound depressing, but she found it kind of reassuring. And so she had um, no desire to be a Christian. She would write articles against Christians arguing how stupid the, their logic was and belief in the Bible. How Well, you get the idea, right? You've run into people like that before, saying people of faith, they, they don't really have any uh, intellectual stamina. And so she was, um, as she was reading uh, the internet, searching for some ideas to write about, she came across a, an obituary for Dallas Willard written by somebody she knew. And, uh, and this man who wrote this obituary, she was good friends with his daughters. So she figured, hey, I'll, let me check out what he wrote. And so as, he was, as she was reading this article, somebody asked the man who died if he believed in total depravity. Now bear with me, if you don't know what that is, neither did the person asking. He <laughs> said, what's that? Um, he responded, he said, no, I believe in sufficient depravity. What's sufficient depravity? She said, he said, I believe that everybody, when we get to heaven, everybody is sufficiently depraved. To, no one will say that I merited this. Nobody will say I deserve this. I earned this. It's all because God is faithful, right? That's why we're in heaven. She read that, that piece of news article, that obituary column, and she started to cry right there on the spot. And she describes the experience. She says, if you ever knew me, you knew I... I'm not an emotional person. I don't go around crying all the time, but she cried right there. And then she says, later that day, she cried some more. And when she was brushing her teeth, she started crying. When she was combing her hair, when she was getting up, eating breakfast the next day, crying all the time. So she thought, you know, I've got to do something about this. Usually I'm an easygoing person, even-keeled. 
She couldn't figure out why she had all of these emotions after reading that one little passage from an obituary. She was feeling like she was being tossed around in the waves. She wasn't sad. She wasn't frightened. She wasn't scared. She just had so much emotion. She didn't know what to do with that. So she reached a crossroads. She started reading books about faith in Jesus. She read Hearing God. She cried. She read My God and I, and she cried some more. She read Take This Bread, and she cried. She said it was getting out of hand. Can't go around crying all the time. So she, she thought to herself, you know, I could explore why I'm having so many uh, difficult emotions or so many emotions that process about when I talk, think about Jesus, or I can just stop reading about Jesus altogether. And so she said, well, if option one doesn't work, I'll just go to option two. And so she emailed a friend, hey, can we talk about Jesus sometime? And you probably already know this, but Christians love to talk about Jesus, so her friend replied and said, yes. And instantly she regretted it. <laughs> if she could claw back the... The data from the internet she would have. An hour before the phone call, a couple days later, a couple days had passed, she was sitting on the couch and she knew that she was a Christian. She knew it. Friend called. Even though she didn't know what to ask, do you like Jesus? What was his deal? Did, do you know why he destroyed that fig tree? <laughs> she had no idea about anything. She just knew that she was a Christian. If you've been following along, you know that she's already crying all the time. But now she began to believe that Jesus was who he says he was. And the crying stopped. And notice this is what she wrote. I had begun to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was, but for some reason, the idea had honestly not occurred to me. But then it did, as though it had always been true. Who placed a measure of faith in her heart? Who put eternity in her heart that was already there? That she finally discovered? So when my friend called, I told her awkwardly that I wanted to have a relationship with God. We prayed, we cried. She sent me a stack of books, and here I am today. She's been baptized since then. Occasionally, she writes, other Christians ask, what happened during that hour? And I answer that God did not speak to me. Rather, like the protagonist in Memento, putting his past together with Polaroids, I figured out what I already knew. I figured out what was already there. I encountered God. I read books about God that I wouldn't normally read, wouldn't have read until I encountered God. And then I sat there, I said, I believe in God. I said it out loud, and here I am today. I find this story to be fascinating and instructive because when we lose our faith or when we're struggling, to begin this journey of faith, we often don't know where to start. 
and the, the task can seem overwhelming because if we've lost our faith, we've given up on God before, how do you come back from that? How do you say, you know, how do you go from atheist to Christian or from weak faith to strong faith? And the answer is simply eat and grow and let God take care of the rest. He's given you everything you need. All you've got to do is keep eating. And if it's hard for you to eat physical food, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to eat. Eat and grow. So I don't know where you are on the spectrum of faith, whether your faith is weak or strong or non-existent. But I do know that if you want your faith to grow, if you want to start out on this journey, you've got to come to the Word of God and begin to read it. To begin to eat from it. And not just a casual reading, but reading with the eye of faith that takes God's Word and says, okay, it's in here. Lord, it must be true. I must, it must be from you. It must be for me. Look to Jesus with the eye of faith. Read and grow. Can I make it any simpler than that? Eat and grow. Don't eat, starve. So I would encourage you today, if you, uh, if you have a decision to make, you say, Lord, I, I know I could be a little bit of a stronger Christian. I know that I'm probably not really a Christian anymore. The starting point is the same. God's already given you everything you need. All you've got to do is come to his word and read it with the eye of faith and trust that God is faithful to do what he says and he'll save you when he comes. Amen. It's that simple. So if that's your desire to say, Lord, give me a stronger faith, give me a saving faith, help me to start this journey, I'd like you to stand and sing uh, our closing song, 272, Give Me the Bible, and our song leaders will come up and, and lead us out in this. Father, as we go today, we leave here knowing that we're sent by you to share your grace and love with others that we come in contact with. Help us to live out the life, the spiritual life that you've given to us as we eat and grow and trust that you'll do the rest. We pray that this would be contagious and that others would learn about you through us. As we leave your ambassadors, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.